Welcome to the Weave Podcast. My name is Sarah Resnick, and I'm the host of this podcast and the owner of the online weaving yarn shop, Gist Yarn and Fiber. This week's podcast episode is sponsored by Schacht Spindle Company in Boulder, Colorado. Schacht is a family-owned small business making some of the most beloved spinning and weaving tools for our fiber community. And I'm really so honored to carry many of their rigid heddle looms, floor looms, and other weaving tools in my shop. My little Cricut rigid heddle loom winds up on my lap on almost every road trip. Schacht is celebrating their 50th anniversary in 2019 and will be having special editions of their wolf looms and matchless spinning wheels in cherry, as well as other special items. You can find them and lots more at your local Schacht dealer's shop or on my website, gistyarn.com. And if you're ever wondering what type of loom you should choose, just shoot me an email at sarah at gistyarn.com and I'll help you pick out one that's perfect for you. Thank you, Schacht, for sponsoring the podcast. This week on the podcast, I'm talking to Catherine Amade, an expert jacquard weaver and teacher. I first met Catherine at Lori Carlson Steger's studio in Massachusetts last spring, where she was teaching a workshop on the TCT jacquard loom. Catherine is an amazing and thorough teacher, and I was really able to learn so much in just a few days with her. Hi, Catherine. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast today. Welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Can you start out by introducing yourself and sharing how you found your way to weaving? Sure. My name is Catherine Amaday. And I am currently uh, a studio director at the Jackard Center in North Carolina. I'm an independent artist and a consultant for Digital Weaving Norway. I provide technical support for people who buy those looms and I offer workshops in weaving on them and uh, installing them and training. And I started weaving actually when I was quite young. I, before I even learned how to weave, I declared I was going to be a weaver. Didn't have a loom. Nobody was a weaver in my family. Um, and didn't start weaving until really late when I went to graduate school for the second time for art. And at that point I was weaving as rudimentarily as I could, always looking for, I was spinning my own yarn and grinding my own flour, that kind of person. And um, took a workshop just it was a kind of a almost a requirement at that point the studio that I was at school in was uh, kind of reorgan they were changing their curriculum to be more digital updating and I took a workshop and the workshop was actually uh, very stressful and very uh, eye-opening about how unprepared I was to kind of live in the modern <laughs> era and um but something about that whole experience, uh, that and then also um, having to deal with the loom that that workshop was addressing, uh, had me understanding that one of the things that I really needed was to use all the parts of my brain. And that's one of the things that weaving supplies for me. Wow. So you mentioned that you were first attracted to weaving when you were a kid and you didn't know anything about it. What Did you see someone weaving? What was it that no, attracted no. you to it? No, no. It was one of those crazy mystery things where, you know, I made these weird little pronouncements like, I'm going to be a weaver. I didn't know any weavers. Hmm. I didn't have any weaving. Nothing. Nothing like that at all. And uh, 
you know, looking back on it, I think how it was a strange thing to be running around saying. Uh, so I don't know if I was declaring it and I just had to get on with it or, or what, you know, it's one of those funny things. So. Wow. And, yeah. and what was your path after, after your, after school? So I, uh, graduated with an MFA in the art department and I had, I was really doing a wide range of things, um, you know, dyeing and, and uh, a lot of mark making with stitches, embroidery, things like that. I actually had been a kind of a, you know, textile oriented person all along. So even as a kid, you know, I was, uh, I, I, I made up a term in college. Uh, I called myself a textilian and, um, that that's the kind of thing, you know, my interest was pretty broad. Um, but the, the, uh, having access to one of those looms made it hard for me to declare that I was a jacquard weaver per se. So after school, um, and I have to say one of my big awarenesses or big, um, uh, eye-opening experiences, I guess, was when Vibika Vestby, the inventor of the loom, came to work on the loom that we had in my department. And I watched her dealing with the components of the loom and, you know, having already had that workshop and I realized it's like mechanical and electrical and, and, you know, materials and content and just using all these different, you know, bodies of knowledge and experience and skills to function. So after I graduated, I made it my business to show up whenever she showed up anywhere and just offered to carry boxes or whatever, you know, mm. stand around. I'll be there when you go to the bathroom or something. <laughs> and um, that's how I kind of pursued it was just if I can, how I can. Now, at the same time, I was um, shockingly hired almost immediately into a program in the College of Technology at my own university, which I don't actually recommend. I think people should f travel and do things like that. But I ended up getting a faculty position and... Um, kind of got sort of involved in all of that. I was teaching a lot of different things. I taught weaving for a while. I sort of invented a course in order to do it. I tried to dovetail it so it wasn't replicating what they were doing in the art department and uh, just continued to pursue. And at that, at that time, most of that time, I was weaving on the TC1. That's the first, the ver first version that came out, like in the summers. And pretty much not ever else during the year. So it was very slow, very small efforts, but I didn't want to give any of that up. I, so I first, I met you um, last winter or the very beginning of spring when you were teaching a class on the TC2 a workshop in Lori Carlson Steger's house. And I was so yes. lucky to get to learn a little bit from you over a couple of days and to get to see those looms in action. They're really incredible. And I'm wondering if you can explain what TC2s are and what jacquard weaving is to people who are unfamiliar. Sure. So to, um, to people who are weavers, uh, the TC2, TC stands for thread controller. So it's, it's not, you know, truly a jacquard loom. Jacquard looms are combinations of machines. Um, but the primary thing about it is uh, f regular floor looms, the threads are operated in sets that are threaded through frames, and you operate these frames by just stepping on pedals. Or, and so you're limited by the number of frames that you have on the loom. 
it's not a very limited number. I'd say you can do quite a lot with a floor loom. But um, the, here, in this case, the thread controller, each thread can operate independently. So you can weave, you can have, you have every interlacement you have control over. The loom itself uses um, air and a vacuum to lift. So you just step on a pedal. It looks kind of like a machine, uh, sewing machine pedal. And that causes the heddles to rise, and it creates a shed just like any other loom. It's warped just like any floor loom. You throw the shuttles just like any floor loom. Um, it keeps tension like some looms actually do have tensioning devices that are live tension, you know, always on. And it has an auto advance on it, um, which there are some looms that have automatic advances. They don't all work the same way, but they, they do. The files... Um, are created by really any program that can generate a binary image, something that's two colors. Uh, it will you can weave anything. You could scan a piece of newspaper and just you know process it so that's only black and white, and then go ahead and throw the shuttles. If where it's black, the warp the warp end will lift. Where it's white, it'll stay down, and then you just throw the shuttle that way. We generally use Photoshop, but um, that's just been one of those kind of amazing things. Pe Photoshop doesn't know that it's weaving at all. It, it's just one of those software that were made for the widest possible audience, and very clever people figured this out. Um, let's see what else. I think that's good. I mean, does that is that answer the question? Yeah, like it does. And yeah. I'm curious. So you started talking about the computer and Photoshop. What is your design process? How do the weavings begin in your mind? And then what's the process of translating that to the loom? And how did you learn to be able to get what you had in your mind onto the fabric? Right. So I have, I have two. Um, right now, you know, I'm super focused on uh, two big kind of roads inquiry I guess you'd say and my own work um, starts generally from photographs so one set of photographs are photographs that I'm not even sure what they were they were things that I took you know and they're in this like digital cloud and I'll pull things together and um, just to and, and it really is more like effects and kind of a confusion I guess non-representational at all and another body I'll literally staging photographs and working with those photographs. So that's my own personal process. But any any other person could start with any digital input, really. And uh, in my training, I'm starting to see a lot of really interesting entry points um, in that regard. <clears throat> because I have these two bodies, you know, one of them is has evolved over the years, but um, it's a kind of, it's personal about, you know, transition and energy and... Um, struggle and things like that so it's art based image based and my design process basically is to I think you know take a deep breath uh, I generally will start with an image or five say and start working on them in tandem and just uh, uh, deconstruct them to see, you know to see the possible effects that I can get and and lately, the last two, three years, I've been pushing the boundaries in my own way of thinking, uh, experimenting with different yarns and different constructions and putting them all together. Uh, I have a kind of a very technical 
set of questions? Can I make these things work together? Are they compatible in the matrix? Can I, what, what, what are the effects that I'm going for? Um, and I have to address, you know, the aesthetic things. I have my own requirements. I like it. I don't like it. It's giving me a rash. <laughs> it's not. Things like mm-hmm. that. Um, so, so right now my, I'm not, I would say I'm pretty, I'm fairly directed. I'm bouncing back and forth and asking questions about size and scale and texture uh, the thing about weaving, though, it's it's it, it isn't necessarily frustrating, but it is a discipline. It's it's linear all the way through. You can only work on one piece at a time. So you, if you you have to finish and then start again. So I can sort of get something started simultaneously. But you know the whole thing of weaving it and choosing the yarns and going to the I evolve as a result of that. And I mostly find that when I go back to that piece I started, you know. When I started the other one, I'm, I'm different. I have a different perspective on it. And so um, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's, uh, let's just say I've recently taken up knitting and I have nine projects <laughs> going on all at the same time right now because that is so fun. So Well, I guess, you know, many weavers will have multiple looms, but I doubt people have multiple TCT looms, <laughs> given. I've always been kind of a, a serial, monogamous yes. serial loom owner. Yes, especially yeah. with that kind of yeah. loom, I'm sure. What kind of materials do you use for your warp and your weft? Okay, so my I'm distinctive in that way. I think I, I have one setup. The, the whole thing, you know, I, I, I wove at mills for a little while, and... Uh, in that con- in that situation, everything is pretty much on lockdown. They're looking to get as much as they can out of a very well-known set of of uh, materials and constructions. And because then you have to, you know, too many complications. So that was my initial premise, um, and that is that I wove for a lot of years with the same yarns in a color or order that was always the same, using the same warp. And the idea is to get as much as you can out of that. And I recently um, figured out you can put any yarn you want in a shuttle and weave with that. That was like a big revelation for me. But I haven't really changed the warp. And my warp is uh, two colors. I use a lot of double weave constructions. that um, I wouldn't refer to them as double weave. I think of them more as weft back, but they're, they're double weaves. And so I have a gray sewing thread warp and a 20s two-mercerized cotton black warp. And so I use those two, and then I use these multiple wefts, anywhere from uh, one to 10 shuttles I'll use, depending on you know what I'm trying to do. So I don't paint my warp, I don't change it out that much. I just put on really long warps, and then change my wefts a lot. And uh, materials, so now I'm starting to bust out, and I'm using, uh, Materials for their properties, which is hmm. crazy. Tell know? me more about that. Um, so I'm using things like abaca or paper. What's um, abaca? Abaca is a cellulose. Fi- it's a bast mm. fiber, and so it has that like long, sort of straw, thin straw-like mm. characteristic. It's a little bit stiff. I have a little plastic tub filled with this hand-tied abaca, which I'm. Not sure about using, but I'll use it. Um, but it has these, you know, really good characteristics. It gives body and strength to the fabric. Um, I don't have any boundaries about whether something is natural or not natural. So right now I'm including 
crazy plastic thin yarns because I want that shine and I use embroidery thread and things like that. So it's, it's really who's going to do the job. The big shift that I'm making right now, though, is I, I use primarily cotton and, and I'm adding silk. And those I want to dye with natural fibers. So I mean natural dyes. So those I'm starting, I've got a dye studio and I've dyed a few cones and I'm sort of subbing out my old basic colors with the natural colors. What kind of dye materials are you using? So I'm using madder, uh, cochineal, indigo, and weld. And I have black walnut. And so I'm trying to get the colors I need out of those colors. It's, it's very incremental because every little thing you do has this big impact down the line. Uh, I feel like I don't know the colors, you know, they all have to be really just right. And so it's, it's a, you know, questionable activity for productivity, I would say. Hmm. But it's what I've been wanting to do for a long time. So that's that's where I'm at right now. So you mentioned when you were talking about your own design process that people can approach it in from so many different angles when they're working at a TC2 and that you've seen your students come at it in a lot of different ways. And I'm wondering if you could share some of your favorite or most interesting ways in. Yeah. So when I was, I took a sabbatical, I was living in uh, Norway at the factory, um, kind of apprenticing and providing feedback to the company. And one of the things I also did was travel around with the tech guy as his like assistant. And um, I saw a lot of stuff going on in Europe and it was very interesting it seems to me like you could almost make a uh, a distinction between European and other countries where the process begins with the drawing. Um, here in the United States, there are people who draw, but it's much more prevalent for people to, to begin with photographs. For whatever reason, it doesn't really matter. So one of the nicest and most beautiful um, outcomes I see regularly are people who draw and they'll scan their images in and work those, that the, the line of drawing is really beautifully rendered in um, jacquard weaving. Um, there's also people who are interested in just they look at the, the interface itself. They look at concept of coding, and they're just they're thinking about data and code and the, in, you know, the relationship between the two. And so some of them simply will just use some of the anomalies or the outputs of the tools themselves, you know, screen captures or bitmaps of things. And those are very interesting, too, um, for a huge range of reasons. So there's there's uh, photography, and then there's these outputs that are related to the digital, virtual world, and then hand drawing. Those Those are the ones that I see. And then I also see a kind of a fusion of traditional weaving and modern, you know, responses to that in a way. Because you can take something that was, you know, like a coverlet, an American coverlet, and then do something to the pattern, scale it up. Or I'm I'm trivializing a little just to make it clearer. But, um, you know, scale it up or twirl it or change the colors or do something like that to it. But they're really looking at the weaving process then and the traditions and the meanings of that process um, with these new kind of enhanced eyes, I'd say. <clears throat> so that's that's really exciting to see those kinds of things. And 
to facilitate that is kind of an honor, actually. Yeah. (laughs) How did you get started teaching on this loom? Well, I I was pretty directed, and I've been um, pretty determined, I'd say, a little determined little squirrel, you know, working, a little spider, working constantly, um, sticking myself wherever I could, uh, getting myself updated as much as I can. And, um, you know, I took workshops with Beth Ann Knutson down at the Oriole Mill. When she had the Jackard Center, she used to train on a piece of software. So I made that connection. We clicked, you know, when I took her classes. Um, And then I also uh, just made myself, like, as available as possible to Vipika Vestby and uh, let it be known that, you know, the loom at Eastern was available. I think it's primarily, though, the the sabbatical year that I took in Norway um, and earned my keep by, you know, just learning, helping, you know, assisting um that is really that that role that i have as um the like the u.s consultant uh, technical advice installer per rep whatever i am i don't really know that i think that has facilitated that the most um and what are your favorite parts about getting to travel all over and help people out with their looms so I, I don't know if, how unusual this is, but, you know, I feel like if I don't know what everybody's doing, I feel like people are leaving me out. So <laughs> I, it's kind of one of those, one of those things. So I, I, I really, really enjoy, I have a very flexible approach to weaving, I think probably because, you know, the way I learned it. And so um, being able to work with people within their contexts and, you know, helping them work out methods that work for them in their area, you know, in their studios, um, seeing how things are operating, talking about pedagogy, meeting, meeting people and seeing the work that they're making and that they want to make. That's, that's really the best. I mean, I love traveling and seeing cities, but I've always really preferred meeting the people and going to grocery stores than looking at tall buildings and, you know, epic architecture, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned the Jacquard Center in Beth Ann and the Oriel Mill, and that is recently relaunched in a new way, I believe. Can you tell me about that? Sure. So the Jacquard Center originally was was there to provide training for people using a particular software called JackCAD, which is still available, still awesome, although, you know, uh, anyway, it period, let's just say that. Um, and, but... It, the universities, the person who wrote that software, um, Garth Fletcher is his name, he, in a very genius move, provided that to university faculty at very low or no cost. I'm not 100% sure which one that was. But um, but when that software, when Apple changed the chip in the software, that no longer could move forward with the next iteration of the Macs. It was written for Mac. And so... University faculty stopped being able to access it and use it. And so eventually, you know, between that and then the Oriole Mill taking off and Beth Ann really wanting to focus on on that, there were fewer and fewer classes until eventually there were none. In 2000, let's see, instead of trying to put a date to it, let's say, that the Textile Society of America um, conference in uh, Savannah, Beth Ann approached Vibek and I about, um, putting a TC2 down at the Jackard Center and reviving it. 
uh, it would it would have provided Bethann and I a wonderful opportunity to get back together. We'd sort of been pulled apart by our jobs and things, and um, and I was like, heck yeah, it's like a great location for. There is a lot of textile things going down there, a lot of fiber arts programs down there, and and Bethann and all of that. And it's a beautiful building. So that idea was born during that conference, and we spent basically a year and a half of you know weekly meetings on the phone, sort of planning and scheming and getting things in place. And um, now it's uh, operating. Now it just in the summer right now we're offering I'm offering workshops there. I keep saying we. It's kind of the royal we, even <laughs> though you know uh, I'm, Beth Ann is my partner and the president. But the workshops are five days. Uh, you live on site. There's I keep the classes super small so that it's like four, five, four, minimum four, maximum five. So it's pretty small point. Um, Twenty-four acts, hour access to the loom in a comfortable house in the mountains about 35 minutes away from uh, Asheville. So it's intense, but comfortable and well-appointed. It's great. It's really great. Yeah. And do people have to have experience to sign up for that? Or what kind of levels of people do you take? No. So one of the things that I I think, um, somebody once made this comment a bunch of years back at one of these hand weaver, I think it was at Complex Weavers in Grand Rapids, but I'm not going to name names about how this uh, this whole jackard hand-weaving thing really hadn't amounted to anything more than a disappointment. And that was like a, a challenge to me to see how far this can go. Because I just thought, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's ridiculous. And so um, one of my goals as an educator, mentor, support person is is to support innovation. And one of the things I think about innovation is you have to use all kinds of different approaches, some of which are, you know, not at all people who are not interested really in weaving. They're, they're really interested in a different, you know, they like the outcome, but they don't really want to become like a weaver per se. And, and so I spent a lot of time and energy um, trying to break down the barrier, dissolve the scary part, the tool, you know, just dissolve the tool. Let's just get into the matrix and talk about effects, talk about materials, talk about desired outcomes. So I have every workshop I've taught, every course I've taught has had at least one person in there who has pretty much no weaving experience. Some of them have some weaving, no Photoshop. Some of them have, you know, I had one who'd never just wasn't even comfortable with computers. So Mm -hmm. The idea is, um, now, what do you want to do? And we work out from there. That's amazing. So where can people go online and on social media to learn more about you and your work and the Jacquard Center and classes there? So uh, we have a website, jacquardcenter.org or .com. Both of those should work. Uh, And you can register, read up. I'll be updating it um, shortly. It's probably looking a little out of, out of date, but that'll give you an idea of the courses and, and how things operate. You can look at, there's there's actually a, a nice group you could sort of ask to be part of called Jackard Weavers United. It's on Facebook. You might um, check out there. You'll see the people's work. They're posting their work there. 
if you go to digitalweavingnorway.com, I think, um, you can, uh, that's sort of the mothership. There's lots of information about the loom itself, and uh, you could sign up for a newsletter to hear more about, you know, they have occasional, I think four times a year or so, they'll have a newsletter that features someone who's working. You can also go to another website. I have Digital Weaving USA that has a bunch of information on it. So, you know, to me that sounds like huge amounts of uh, information, but it's probably mostly because I'm running more. <laughs> that sounds great. But, I will link to all yeah. of those in the show notes so that people can easily find them and go check Thanks. that out. Well, yeah. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing a bit about your story and about the Jackard Center. And I'm wondering before we close out, if you have any closing advice for weavers out there. Uh, I think, well, you know, I, I saw that you, you sent this question to me and I was like, closing advice for weavers. <laughs> and, and I just, I think that there's just so many great weaving teachers out there that any advice I had would just be redundant. But since we're talking about the TC2 or something like that, the one thing that people say a lot is, you know, I don't know anything. I don't know about that. I can't, I'm not, I'm afraid, you know, they just, they'll, they'll put up these artificial barriers. And I think one of the things that I've learned the most, I, I think they're artificial, but one of the things I've learned about weaving this way or operating, you know, on this kind of edge is um, you don't know what you don't know, but the more you know, the more you can imagine. And there's actually nothing but good that can come from like imagining and asking why not or what will happen. And, you know, there's plenty of great people out there to help. So, you know, just get your feet wet and just go for it. Don't be afraid. It's good. The water's <laughs> good. <laughs> you know? So I guess that's it. I love that advice. That's my advice. That's great advice. Yeah. Thank you, Catherine. Yeah. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks. Thank you. And I hope to see you yes, soon. Yes, I hope to see you soon, too. <laughs> All right. I love your website and your oh, yarn. thank you. <laughs> Take <laughs> All care. Right. You too. Bye. That's a wrap. You can find photos of Catherine's work and links to her website and her teaching schedule at the Jacquard Center at www.gistyarn.com slash episode hyphen 40. And if you'd like to donate to support the podcast, I so appreciate your donations and am putting them to great use. You can donate by going to www.gistyarn.com slash podcast and clicking the donate button. Thank you to Shacked Spindle Company for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Shacked makes some of the most beloved and well-used spinning and weaving tools for our fiber community, including my favorite rigid heddle looms, the Cricut and the Flip. Find them at your local Shacked dealer's shop or on my website, gistyarn.com. And don't forget to follow Shacked Spindle Company, that's, C, that's S-C-H-A-C-H-T, on Facebook and Instagram, and to find inspiration on their blog, shackedspindle.com slash blog. Thank you, Shacked! Next week on the podcast, LaShawn is talking to Sandy Fisher about Chico Flax Linen, a movement to promote a more self-reliant flax-to-fabric textile industry in the northern Sacramento Valley. You won't want to miss this conversation, so make sure to tune in next Monday. And until next time, happy weaving! <laughs>